So we're going to get into it. It's week three, the final week of our series, Modern Art. And if you missed the first two weeks, you, you need to go online and listen to those messages. They were so good. And this puts a lot of pressure on me because I'm closing out the series. You know, I would much rather start a series because you have no expectations and it can only go up when my husband takes over. But when he's already here and then I have to close it off, you know, I can't, I can't bring it down here. So there's a lot of pressure. Um, we've been focusing on this idea that Jesus was all about changing the customary practices of the world and the culture, and that we as Christians should look different than the world does. And today happens to be Palm Sunday. If you're unfamiliar with what Palm Sunday is, it's the beginning of what is known as Holy Week. Holy Week is the time that leads from the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and ends with the resurrection. And that's what we celebrate next week, that Jesus is alive. But the beginning of the week is when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. He didn't live in Jerusalem. He lived in a place called Capernaum near the Sea of Galilee. And it was about a week's walk from Capernaum to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is where Jesus was entering, and all kinds of prophecy was about to be fulfilled about him being the Messiah, and he was about to give his life for you and for me. So why don't we look together at this story in Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there with me. Um, If you don't, that's okay. The words are going to be on the screen. But I do want to encourage you this week, as you are reading your Bible, to just go and read all of the different accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The story is exactly the same, but they all give you just a little bit different perspective. So today we're going to be reading Luke's perspective. So Luke 19, starting in verse 28, it says, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Last year, I had the opportunity to share on Palm Sunday, and I had a whole message about a donkey. There's a lot you can say about a donkey. If you missed it, you should go look it up. I wouldn't tell you to do that for all my messages, but that one, I'd encourage you to give it a listen. I didn't think I should talk about a donkey for a second year in a row, so I'm going to take a different approach. As we recognize Palm Sunday, and we lean into God's word, Today, I'm going to talk about this. It's not that heavy. It's a rock. It's a stone. Shocking, right? More specifically, I'm going to talk to you about a message centered around verse 40 that says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I hope you're going to take notes today. 
if only to remain my husband's favorite people. And you can title your notes, The Art of Recognition. And here's why recognition is important. Anything that is unrecognized becomes uncelebrated. Anything uncelebrated becomes unrewarded, and anything unrewarded eventually exits your life. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for your word that's going to go forth. Lord, I just ask that you would help me, and I ask that you would help everyone in this room. God, help us to just be open to receive. Help us to be relaxed. Help us to have our minds cleared and be ready for what you have for us. We know you're going to speak to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. When you were a child, did you have a nickname? Did your parents, you know the ones that picked your name out for you, start calling you something else? I had a few nicknames growing up. Now, I was going to tell you one of my nicknames. I had three nicknames. I was going to tell you one of your nicknames, but honestly, you're being a little too quiet, so I don't know if I'm going to tell you my nickname today. I'll tell 11 o'clock because they'll be excited. Okay, well, it's in my notes, so I'll do it. I've outgrown all of my nicknames except for one. I can't get rid of it, and at this point in my life, I don't think I am going to get rid of it. It's not horrible, but it's not great. And just a few people in my family call me this. My brother, because he's older, and older brothers have to do that. My dad sometimes. But the person who calls me this the most is the person that gave me this name, and that's my grandpa Vanderstail. He's still kicking it at 91 years old. And every time he sees me or every time he talks to my mom on the phone, he asks the same question. How's Jaws? <laughs> that's right. My nickname is Jaws. I cannot get rid of it. Reese told me he thought it was because I was like a shark. Not really sure how I felt about that, but I said, no child. I was given this name because when I was a little girl, I was never not talking. I always had something to say. I was a jabber Jaws, which I never believed was possible until I had a little girl, and I was like, yep, <laughs> it must be genetic. If you know me well, this probably doesn't shock you. What might shock you more is sometimes I don't say all the things that I'm thinking. If you only knew everything that was going on up here. As much as I try to just zip it, sometimes something has to be said. I have to make a comment. I have to give my opinion. I have to get it off my chest. I have to take action. I have to make it better. I have to say something. Now, before you go getting all Judgy McJudgerson on me, I see your social media posts. I know I'm not the only person that suffers slow brain fast mouth syndrome. Some of us are better than others at holding our words, but I know I'm not alone in this. Parents, especially parents of teenagers, there are times when your kid does something and you're like, I've really got to say something to them. Or maybe it's your spouse. Maybe they've left their shoes in the entryway for the one millionth time, and you think, if I just say something for the one millionth and one dime, they'll get it. And it's not always negative things that I have to say. Sometimes I have really helpful things to say. There's some things that you shouldn't keep quiet. Like I bought one of those Lululemon, like fancy fanny packs that you wear over your shoulder. Life-changing, okay? If you even look at me like you might have a question, I'm going to tell you about it. You should get it. 
Or if you discover a great restaurant or you hear of an amazing deal, you go on an unbelievable vacation, people don't keep that to themselves because something has to be said. And I used to feel so guilty after always being the one in the room that was talking, but then I discovered this truth and it really set me free. We were created to talk. Have you ever thought about that? We were made to say something. In the beginning, God created everything, and he gave unique characteristics. But humans were the only part of creation that he made able to talk, to use words. He made other things with the ability to make noise. The wind can make noise. Anyone who lives in Kansas in the spring knows that sound. Thunder, lightning, rain can all make noise. Animals can make sounds. Birds chirp, toads croak, cows moo. We all know what the fox says. <laughs> Animals make all kinds of noises, but they weren't created to talk. I don't care what you think. Your dog cannot ask you how your day was when you get home. The only thing in all of creation that was created to talk was human beings. You and I are uniquely wired to say something. We're able to cry out. So what is it in your life that makes you cry out? Maybe you closed a deal that you've been working on for a long time, and you cry out with excitement. Maybe you landed a contract, or you passed a test. Maybe you got a raise, or you got a good report from the doctor. Maybe your kids are thriving and following God for themselves. Those are all reasons to cry out with joy and celebration. Or maybe something doesn't go your way. We have worry or doubt or fear, and we recognize that we can't carry this on our own, so we cry out with anguish. We're made to cry out. We can cry out with joy, and we can cry out in pleasure because we were created in the image of God and by a God who knows how to experience both. We can also cry out in sorrow because we have a Savior that knows exactly what that feels like too. We can have joy and we can have sorrow exist in our life at the same time and cry out for both, and that's exactly what's happening in our text. The people were crying out as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. They were shouting, Hosanna. Now, I don't know if you learned this story like I did in Sunday school. Everybody, ho, ho, Hosanna, he, he, he saved me. I'm the only church girl. I've got the joy of the Lord. <laughs> Hosanna does mean joy and praise, but it also means save us. It's a contrast of two things. The people recognized who was coming, who was right there before them. It was the Savior, the Messiah. They were filled with joy and praise, and they were crying out to be saved. They thought, finally, we're going to be rescued and saved and freed from the political oppression that was above them. They were expecting him to set up power and sit on the throne and rule and free them. And Jesus did come to save them. And he comes in to save us, but it's not always in the way we think we need saved. The people thought they were getting a political salvation, but Jesus came to give them a spiritual transformation. The crowd of people were desperate to be saved. They were crying out, save us, Lord. They were in desperate need for their situation to change. 
And even though this took place over 2,000 years ago, I would say the scene isn't much different today. People are still crying out. People are still saying, save me. They may not say, Hosanna, but they're saying, save me. And Jesus is still in the business of saving. He's still changing lives. He's still answering prayers. He's still working miracles. He's still setting people free. He's still healing. Do you know that? Do you recognize that today? When we fail to recognize what we have, it becomes uncelebrated. Anything that is uncelebrated becomes unrewarded, and anything that is unrewarded eventually will exit your life. Don't let the presence of God become unrecognized in your life. God is so worthy of praise and honor, so much so that when the Pharisees told Jesus to quiet down the people, he said, if they keep quiet, the rocks will cry out. He's saying that this moment is so powerful that something that is not meant to cry out will cry out. And I don't know about you, but I really don't like it when something else takes my role. So I'm going to give Jesus the place in my life that he deserves. I'm going to give him praise and worship and recognition and not allow any rock to take my role. So how do we cry out to God? There are times in our life when we're in crisis or we're struggling or we're stressed, we're unsure of what to do next. That's an obvious time to cry out to God. We all have those times. Just don't let it be your permanent zip code. But often we fall into the routine of when life is good, I don't need Jesus. If it's bad, I'll call on him, but if I'm good, I'm good. And we ignore Jesus until the next crisis comes. God doesn't want that kind of relationship with us. He's never going to push himself on you or force you into a relationship with him. But when you rely on him for every part of your relationship, he's got so much more for you. We know how to cry out when it's bad, but how can we cry out to God when life's good? How can we honor and recognize his power in our life? We recognize him through our worship and our praise. Worship is simply expressing love. It doesn't have to be singing, although that's frequently what we think it is, and that is a part of it. But worship and praise is a recognition and an expression of who God is in your life. Everything we do, say, touch, feel, think, should be an act of worship or praise. The way we talk to our spouse should be an act of worship. The way we parent, the way we respond to authorities in our life, even if we don't agree with them, should be an act of worship. The way we spend our money, where we go, what comes out of our mouth, what we think about, what thoughts I allow to stay, those should all be an act of worship. And worship is not a concept just for the religious elite. We all worship, and we all do it in all kinds of settings. We worship at concerts, at athletic events. Y'all were worshiping Monday night, were you not? We worship nature. We worship bodies and looks. It's great to love certain things, to enjoy things, to have a good time. 
our creative creator wants us to enjoy the good things in life. In fact, throughout the pages of scripture, God tells us to enjoy life, but not to waste our worship and cry out to the wrong things. We were made to worship, and when we stay silent, when we don't express our praise and our thanks to our creator, when we take him out of the center of our life and don't give him the honor and the glory and celebrate his power and authority in our life, eventually it will exit our life. Not because God left, but because we just gave it no place anymore. In this passage, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. It's a huge parade. It's his time. It's his turn. The crowds have gathered, and he makes his way through. And verse 36 says, As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. To truly worship is to lay something down. Be it your coat, your preferences, your will, something has to be laid down when we worship. Verse 37, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The parade was breaking out. People were going crazy, worshiping, saying, I love you, Lord. Thank you for all you've done. They're recognizing who he is and articulating with their voice what he has done. And then, verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Those sneaky Pharisees, let me say it like this. Pharisees. They want to seize the voice of worship. They want to seize the voice of praise. They want to shut it down. They don't want the crowd to give Jesus worship and recognition. And Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. There's always going to be an opportunity for Pharisees in your life. When we welcome the king in our life, we also must be aware of the silencers. Any parent knows that quite possibly the worst place to be trapped with your children is in the car, especially when two or three or more are gathered there. <laughs> the car is a breeding ground for conflict. It's confined. You're smushed together. Somebody touches somebody. Somebody looks at somebody. Somebody looks like they're thinking about touching somebody, and it's chaos. Then it starts to get hot, then it starts to smell, then there's arguing about where the smell came from, then they're fighting over a broken toy that they found under the seat, and then they get louder, and then I get louder, and then they get louder, and that's all within the first 90 seconds of being in the car. I'm telling you, we are a treat to watch at Carline. Don't get me wrong, my kids aren't always fighting. Sometimes they're just obnoxious. Sometimes they're just loud. So I do what every good and seasoned mom does. I say, let's play the quiet game. Winner gets $5. <laughs> yes, I bribe my children. <laughs> the quiet game is actually the best invention ever because your kids think they're playing a game and you don't have to play a game with them and you're getting silence. It's a win-win-win. The quiet game is meant to just shut it down, to, to silence it. And that's what the Pharisees were trying to do. They were the silencers. They wanted the crowd 
to play the quiet game. They were saying, Jesus, they're being too loud. They're recognizing, they're recognizing you too much. He's getting too much praise. We don't want that. We can't have this. Jesus, you've got to shut them up. You have to tell them to play the quiet game. And Jesus was like, if they keep quiet, these stones will cry out. Essentially, he's saying, there's no silencing this. What does he mean, the stones will cry out? We already said that they weren't created to do so, so how can rocks cry out? Well, if you read on what happens over the next week, the rocks do cry out. When Jesus cried out with his last breath and died on the cross for our sins, and the veil was torn in two, the whole earth shook, rocks split, tombs broke open, the rocks cried out. And even in that moment, those who didn't follow Jesus said, surely he is the Son of God. If we don't step up and do what we are created to do, the rocks will step up and take our place. More than ever before, I believe we have a lot of Pharisees in our world and in our culture. Specifically, the Christian faith has had a lot of Pharisees trying to silence us. There are a lot of things happening with the world's culture that do not line up and are compatible with the kingdom culture. What do I mean by that? If you read the Bible and you believe what it says and you stand for it, whether it be life, marriage, sexuality, family, justice, government, equality, freedom, if you stand for what the Bible says, your beliefs are not the same as much of the culture, and the Pharisees of the world want you to play the quiet game. It has not always been like this, but I believe for so long the church collectively, not the building, but the people, we've been silent. We've shushed ourselves and we've allowed people as dumb as rocks to be the louder voice and talk about things that we, the church, should be talking about. We've stayed quiet while other voices have gotten louded, louder. Now, I am not hating on anyone. In fact, you and I can have very different beliefs on things, and I will still love you, and I will still respect you, I will still listen to you, but what I will not do is allow you to make your beliefs silence my beliefs. Did you know that a belief comes from somewhere or something, be it literature or writing or hearing someone speak on it? That's how our beliefs are formed. So don't back down or be ashamed or be embarrassed that your beliefs came from the Word of God that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Recognize it celebrate it, carry it, share it, cry out for it. And you don't have to do it in a mean-spirited way or a condemning way. Please don't be weird, you know, turn or burn. That's weird. Don't do that. Be compelling. Be strong. Do it in love. Do it with conviction and compassion. Maybe don't try and take on the whole world at once, but start small. When you feel the silencers coming into your world, can you speak louder? When you're in a conversation with friends or coworkers that are far from God and the topic of religion comes up and the voices of the Pharisees in your head start to say, no, 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 don't say it. Shh, 
Don't tell them you go to church. Don't, don't you say a word about Jesus and how he's changed your life. You could lose your job. You could lose your friends. They won't like you. Well, first of all, you don't know that for sure. And you don't have to give them the whole gospel message. But can you say something? Can you let your actions and your speech glorify God and mark you as different? Can you start there? Students, you're in a class. And Dr. Fuzzy Face, know-it-all, is saying this or that, and that we come from a bunch of apes, and that there's no way that we are created in seven days. And you know you need to say something, but the spirit of the Pharisees goes, shut it down. They'll think you're a freak. But even if they do, it's not like they're going to be in your life forever. And actually saying something might be the thing that they need to hear that helps them get out of unbelief and into belief. You saying something could spark something in them that they need to hear. We have Easter weekend coming up next weekend. We have all these people. They're going to be showing up, and it's going to be awesome. However, don't let the spirit of the Pharisees squelch your invitation to someone who needs the Lord. A simple invite to join you at church could be the very thing that they have longed for and could be the thing that turns their life around. We're created to cry out, to say something, to use words. And if you keep quiet, another voice is going to fill that space. I don't know about you, or I don't know if you know this, but rocks are used a lot in the Bible. They are a part of a lot of stories of God's faithfulness. Rocks were participants in miracles. If we're going to recognize God in our life, we need to be an active participant in our story. What do I mean by that? We all know that rocks can't talk. They weren't created for that. But in a bunch of stories that I read, I read about how the, the rocks were there and how they participated in the story. And I thought, if they could talk, what would they say? Like, for instance, when the children of Israel were in the desert and there was no water and they were saying, I'm so thirsty, our cattle is drying, this is not a prosperous place. Well, Moses saw a rock and he hit the rock and boom, my favorite thirst-quenching electrolyte smart water burst forth. If that rock could talk, I bet it would say, praise the Lord. God will nourish you and sustain you in any desert. Then there's the story about Joshua leading the Israelites across the Jordan River at flood stage. Seems a little ridiculous, right? But step after step, the water parts, and it's such an act of God. When they get to the other side, what does Joshua do? He makes a memorial out of rocks. What if those rocks could talk? I bet they'd say, praise God that you don't have to have it all figured out, but just a little bit of faith. And I'll be, you'll be right there with me. If I just have a little bit, you'll meet me. Thank you, God, for being with me. Then, of course, a more famous rock story, David in the Valley of Elah. We've got tiny little David. And then we've got a 9-foot, nine 9-inch, nine 427-pound sweet soul of giant Goliath. We've got a slingshot. We've got a pile of rocks. David takes one of those rocks, puts it in a slingshot, whips it around, Philistine's dead. 
that rock could talk, I bet it would say, no matter what giant you are facing, God will secure the victory for you. Think about Nehemiah. He was like, man, I can't build that wall around Jerusalem. I can't do that. And God says, you can. And he built the wall around Jerusalem. And what if one of those rocks could talk? I bet they would say, thank you, God, for helping me in all situations. Even when I don't think I can, I know you can. How about the woman caught in the act of adultery? People were picking up rocks, ready to judge her, to stone her, to kill her. What if those rocks could talk? The rocks would say, praise God that he forgives and he cleanses every sin and he remembers them no more. And then maybe the most famous rock of all, Easter. After dying on the cross for our sins, after breathing his last breath, they put Jesus in the tomb and they rolled a big old rock right in front of the entrance. And on Easter morning, he burst forth with resurrection power. The rock was rolled away. If we could talk to that rock, what would it say? It would say, he is alive. He is living. He is forgiving. He is changing. He is cleansing. He is Hosanna. He is our blessed Savior, our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords. Do you know him? That's what that rock would say. All of these rocks participated. They did what they were supposed to do. So what about you? Are you going to do what you are supposed to do? Are you going to do the job that God has created you for? Are you going to recognize him in your life? I really thought long and hard about how I wanted you to remember this message and what I wanted you to take away from it. And because I was talking about the art of recognition, I wanted you to have something that would trigger your memory every time you saw it and remind you that we're not meant to just stay quiet. We're created to cry out. So I got you all a little present that you're going to take home today. Ooh, a present. Really, Marissa? Thank you. You're welcome. As you leave today, our hosts are going to be at the back with a basket, and inside of it, they have a rock. I want you to take this, and this is what I want you to do it. Do with it. Put it somewhere that you can see it. Maybe put it in your car or your kitchen counter, maybe in your bathroom or on your nightstand. Maybe keep it in your purse or at your desk at work. Wherever you can see it, that's where I want you to put it. And every time you look at this rock, I want you to remember that you have the unique opportunity and ability to put Jesus at the center of the parade of your life. When Jesus entered Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago, he knew his destination was the cross. He knew he had the power to save and to change and to heal lives. He recognized what he was here to do, and he did exactly what he was created for. This rock was not created to carry the message of Jesus. We get to do that. We get to carry the message. We get to cry out. We have the unique opportunity that nothing else we see in this world.